devil weed, chronic, doobies, grass, all pet names for cannabis, the worst thing that has ever happened in all of time, from the shores of Maui Waui to the coastlines of Acapulco Gold, marijuana is making the world into a terrible place. And it all started in the 1930s. Can you believe it? We'll dive into the bad movie that started bad movies. Reefer Madness. Plus all the insane laws that made cannabis be considered the same as cocaine and heroin. Reefer Madness. This week on This Was A Thing. Oh, I'm thinking so fondly of mid-Atlantic accents and goldfish swallowing. Oh, the joy that I feel thinking of the New Deal and the Hayes Code. This was a thing. I can't get my mind off those fireside chats and the music of Ruth and Ing. Jesse Owens could run, Greta Garbo had fun, and sweet Charlie Temple could sing. All these things and more were a Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we're looking at reefer madness. Ooh. Uh, I know. This was a thing because at the end of the 30s, the devil's weed was taking over the youth of America, and something had to be done to warn mothers and fathers of this great country that this demon had to be burnt out and eradicated immediately. The thing is, maybe if they actually did burn it out, they would have chilled out a little bit. (laughs) So Reefer Madness was an exploitation and propaganda film that was released in 1936, 1938, or 1939. Does no one know the year? There's not really an exact date of when it is. It sort of materialized. And everywhere I'd look, they would hone in on one year but it was always different and then like wikipedia even was like look there's they're not even sure so would it be safe to assume that no one is alive from this movie for us to ask them probably not anymore yeah it was originally called tell your children and the film was used to scare people into thinking that cannabis was just an awful drug that could cause you to do any number of terrible Terrible, terrible, awful things. Such as? Well, I mean, I'll get into that, and it is a doozy, but I mean, death. It'll kill you. you know, you'll kill someone what? under it, yes. Jeez. Yeah. So I know Reaper Madness has developed a campy following over the years, but like I said, it's just an awful movie. I've seen some bad old films that have ended up becoming cult classics, but this is just by far just the worst. Like, one, I mean, it's just bad. Wait, wait, bad because of the writing or bad because of the quality or the act? Just like bad all around? Right. Writing, quality, acting, message. The thing that I found more interesting than the actual film itself was the law that was passed around the same time as this movie was released. The Marijuana, with an H instead of a J, Tax Act of 1937 came along, which was the beginning of making weed as illegal as illegal could be. So that was 37. This movie was possibly uh, 36, 38, or 39. So, you know. Congress loves a movie tie-in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I remember the Iron Man clause, which was about infrastructure and Pittsburgh steel. <laughs> Congress loves the tie-in. So I know the word marijuana is now considered an offensive term, so I'm going to do my best to be referring to it as that whenever it's part of a quote or a law at the time. Let me just give a brief history of the wacky tobacco <laughs> up until that, this, that. That's totally fine to say, wacky tobacco, up until this point. Uh, this is thanks to an article from KQED titled Reefer Madness, the Twisted History of America's Marijuana Laws. For this easily, uh, it, it gave me a really easily digestible history. Uh, and so, I mean, there's tons more. I know that. But this is the basic meat and potatoes. This is the 1600s to mid 1800s. KQED says, cannabis literally becomes part of the national fabric. So in the early 1600s, the British government actually encouraged colonial farmers to produce hemp. Hemp is a form of cannabis with low levels of the psychoactive ingredient THC, tetrahyglutenchlorine. I love THC, especially don't go chasing waterfalls. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hemp was a, a super hardy plant, and it grew very fast, and it was mainly used in the production of rope, sails, clothing, and paper, which, you know, is pretty important, those things. So it was a very critical fiber to the British and Spanish empires. And then in 1619, the Virginia Assembly passed a law that required farmers to actually grow hemp. So if you had a farm, you were legally required yeah, to grow to this. grow hemp for it. Wow. In the 19th century, when hemp production started to slow down, more potent forms of cannabis were used as ingredients in a lot of medicinal products, and they were openly sold in pharmacies. After the Mexican Revolution of 1910, a wave of Mexican immigrants came into the southwestern United United States, and it helped populize the recreational use of the drug. Cannabis in Spanish was referred to as marijuana with an H or marijuana with a G. Marijuana is considered the anglicized bastardization of those two words. As the drug kept growing in popularity, it started to become negatively associated with Mexican immigrants, and then anti-drug campaigns began to warn against the marijuana menace, describing the terrible crimes attributed to the drug and the Mexicans who used it. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah, so oh our, my back God. in the 1910s. So it was only referred to as marijuana because anti-cannabis factions wanted to underscore the drug's Mexicanness, quote-unquote, meant to play off of anti-immigrant sentiments. And that was noted by uh, Matt Thompson on NPR's Code Switch blog. It also is the reason why some cannabis advocates today considered marijuana a derogatory term, like I mentioned earlier. So yeah, that's why we're... It try, we're Cannabis is trying to be said more because the original usage of marijuana it's, yeah, it's a derogatory term. So rumors started to spread about Mexicans distributing the demon weed or loco weed. They called it loco weed? Loco weed. To unsuspecting American school children, wrote author Eric Schlosser in a 1994 Atlantic article called Reefer Madness. It's a very popular title. In port cities along the Gulf Coast, the drug also became associated with West Indian immigrants, a connection that has been broadly extended to African Americans, jazz musicians, prostitutes, and lower class whites. Uh, wasn't America just great? I mean, I feel like a lot has changed. Oh, yeah. So much progress. The marijuana menace, which is what it was called, was was sketched by anti-drug campaigners, and it was personified by inferior races and social deviants. Uh, in 1913, California, of course, of all places, which is very odd now, passed the first state cannabis prohibition law. So it's just funny to think that California was the first in legalizing marijuana. The effort was sponsored by the State Board of Pharmacy as part of a larger anti-narcotics campaign. All right, so let's get into the Great Depression, huh? I know, it's a not a great time. So I won't get into that, but you know, it wasn't the best time in America. The lands of hopes and dream took a big old kick 
right in the old pantaloons. There was obviously widespread unemployment and poverty during the Great Depression. We all know that. Unfortunately, these things helped further resentment and fear of immigrants and minorities. It also started to fuel concerns about the perceived problems of the drug that had become associated with these immigrants and minorities. There ended up being a bunch of pseudo-research that linked the use of cannabis to violence, crime, and other socially deviant behaviors. Harry J. Anslinger, the first commissioner of the newly created Federal Bureau of Narcotics, insisted that marijuana led to insanity, criminality, and death. And by 1931, 29 states had outlawed it. America's Mellow was getting harshed. Did they have any proof of any of this? It was the same doctors that were probably saying cigarettes were healthy for you doing these. Oh my god. All this negativity going around, something had to be done. That's when a small church group decided it was time to fund a film to teach about the horrors of the drug. The name of the church group has disappeared over time, but the film itself lives on. Tell Your Children was the resulting film. The film begins with a foreword about the real public enemy number one, marijuana. You and all the school parent groups about the country, and you must stand united on this and stamp out this frightful assassin of our youth. You can do it by bringing about compulsory education on the subject of narcotics in general. The great marijuana in particular. That is the purpose of this meeting, ladies and gentlemen, to lay the foundation for a nationwide campaign by you to demand by law such compulsory education. Because it is only through enlightenment that this scourge can be wiped out. Things only get worse from there. Over the next 68 minutes, it didn't even get a full 70, uh, poor young souls under the influence of the devil's lettuce do a number of terrible things, including a teen with his whole life ahead of him hits and kills a man crossing the street with a car. This ends up having no consequences, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go, Jack. I'm red hot. Better be careful how you drive it. The first thing you know, you'll be ice cold. Rob, describe that horrific scene for me. Okay, so it is a, I'm assuming a very high teenager who is on the the devil's lettuce. And he uh, is driving really fast and he ignores what the crosswalk is saying. And a pedestrian crosses into the street and gets hit by the car. Now, just, I'm assuming they didn't have really like a lot of CGI or stunt people back then. Yeah, I don't think they had stunts. You see a close-up of the man's face walking and then the car, quote unquote, hits him. And all that happens is is that this man, this actor, drops down on the side of the car. So the car just passes him, doesn't even make contact with him. But apparently he's dead. Now, you say no consequences. No consequences for whom? This this man just lost his life. Well, for the kid who's driving, I'm saying. So if, if you're high enough, you can get away with anything. I mean, that's maybe what they're saying. We do not condone that here at the show, ladies and gentlemen. And also, if you think you're going to be hit by a car... Drop and roll. (laughs) What else happens? What are some of the other vignettes that happen in, in this film? A different teenage boy accidentally shoots a teenage girl, killing her. But he was actually framed. What? 
Jack, is she all right? She's dead. Well, if you've never seen this, if may, I, if I may, there's two guys fighting. And a guy from the kitchen comes out and tries to break up the fight by shooting at the two guys. The guy comes out of the kitchen to pistol whip the kid. And then so he's trying to wrestle the gun. Oh, I see. Listen, you two. Why don't you get out of here? Get out of here and forget you're ever in here today. I'll handle this. Now get going. Harry. Harry. What happened? He killed her. So this guy is so high that they're going to convince him that he's the one that shot this woman. Exactly. Wow. But if he wasn't high, that wouldn't be a problem. Exactly. He wouldn't even be there. Then a man beats another man to death with a stick as a woman watches and hysterically laughs. Is this woman high? Oh, absolutely. I know what you want. You want to kill me. You're crazy. Take it easy, kid. I just want to talk to you. The only accurate depiction I've seen in this movie of anyone being high is the guy who comes in to kill him that says, Hey, I just want to talk to you. That's what I mean. Marijuana calms you down. Yeah. It relaxes you. It doesn't do it doesn't have any sort of effect I've ever seen <laughs> with violence. And then of course the laughing woman who we just saw jumps out of a window to her own demise due to the guilt of exposing youth to a drug. <laughs> First of all, it showed this woman so high that she runs. When have you ever seen anyone high run? Well, this is right. She just got out of court. Don't defend her. You know she toked a little bit. The message is absolutely clear, but just in case you missed it, a character delivers it directly to the camera at the end. Dr. Alfred Carroll, a fictional high school principal, tells the audience. Yes, that happened right here to your neighbor. It is not too much to say that in your hands lies the possibility of averting other tragedies like it. We must work untiringly so that our children are obliged to learn the truth. Because it is only through knowledge that we can safely protect them. Failing this, the next tragedy may be that of your daughter, or your son, or yours, or yours, or yours. I have to tell the listeners, just if you're familiar with this, maybe you'll get this. This movie literally looks like a Three Stooges short. Yeah. I even think it's the same actors. There's a judge in this movie that I am now convinced is the judge from the incredible Three Stooges film, Disorder in the Court. Oh, oh, oh. You were right. I was, okay, what's his name? His name is Edward LeSaint. Yes, Edward LeSaint is the judge, not only in Reefer Madness, but also in Disorder in the Court. Look at 36 Disorder in the Court, 36 Reefer Madness. So they have Literally, it as 36. I think they used the same set. I can't believe, I can't believe you fucking got that right. <laughs> I can believe it. Hey friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review. 
please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay, head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to Patreon.com and send us some money, and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Soon after the film was shot, however, it was purchased by the notorious exploitation film maestro Dwayne Esper, and he gave the film a much better title, Reefer Madness. Now, Esper has already made a name for himself in the exploitation film market by this point, having been behind the films Narcotic, released in 1933, and Maniac, released in 1934. Esper took the liberty of cutting in salacious insert shots to the already completed film before distributing it on the exploitation circuit. Now, in 1938 or 1939, Esper began distributing it on the exploitation circuit, where it was originally released in four territories, and each of them had their own title. So it wasn't just Reefer Madness. The first territory to screen it was the South, where it went by Tell Your Children in either 1938 or 1939. West of Denver, Colorado, the film was generally known as doped youth in new england it was known as reefa madness yeah reefa madness. Yeah, we got to keep the original title here pennsylvania and west virginia it was called the burning question i had the burning question once yin's got the burning question yeah i had the burning question the film was screened all over the country during the 40s under these various titles and albert dezel of detroit eventually bought all rights in 1951 to use in roadshow screenings throughout the 50s i'm kind of assuming that people that actually smoked pot watching this probably thought it was hysterical yeah i'm sure in like the 50s if they they would probably go and stuff but there weren't screenings at that point sure. specifically to like be like look how bad this is so reefer madness was actually based on a real story victor Licata, who killed his father mother two brothers and sister with an axe in tampa florida on october 16th 1933 they alleged that this was all done while Licata was under the influence of cannabis bullshit Bullshit. Yeah. When you're high, you can't even get up you don't from want a to sofa. Pick up an axe. Come on. Well, I know, but back then it was an easy, an easy thing for them to say, and people didn't know the couch melter terminology back in the 1930s. They did know the divan melter. Yeah, that's true. Divans were very popular back then. Absolutely. He was declared unfit to stand trial for reasons of insanity. Further psychiatric examination at the Florida State Mental Hospital determined that Licata suffered from schizophrenia with homicidal tendencies. The Licata case was used to propagandize the passage of the Federal Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. This act outlawed the legal sales of the demon weed. 
So they said that this man murdered his family because he was under the influence of cannabis. Mm-hmm. They then did an exam, a psychiatric examination and realized it had nothing to do with cannabis. It was the fact that he suffered from schizophrenia and nobody ever corrected it. Well, no, because they could still use that to get the passage of this act done. Okay. So following an intense national propaganda campaign against the evil weed, Congress passed the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, the first time the drug was regulated and taxed by the government. This very quickly criminalized cannabis, outlawing its possession and sale. So scientists were experimenting with this stuff back in the 30s, and they were going to have to pay a crazy tax, which meant that I'm sure they probably weren't going to experiment with it and find out the things it was capable of doing at a much earlier time. One of the craziest thing about all this weed talk was that a lot of the propaganda was actually about the hemp that we were talking about earlier. But it was easier to say that weed will make you do the terrible thing. So you said earlier who was behind a lot of this. So most now say that the aim of the act was to reduce the hemp industry through excessive taxation, largely as an effort of businessman Andrew Mellon. William Randolph Hearst and the DuPont family. So newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst realized that cheap, sustainable, and easily grown hemp threatened his extensive timber holdings. Hearst was one of the most influential people in the world at the time because of his extensive newspaper empires, and he had newspapers all over the United States. So whatever he said, people were reading, and I mean, he was almost like a kingmaker back then because of how much sway he had. Andrew Mellon, who at the time was the Secretary of Treasury, was the wealthiest man at the time in the U.S., invested heavily in the DuPont family's new synthetic fiber, nylon. And nylon was meant to compete with hemp. In 1916, the United States Department of Agriculture, USDA, Chief Scientists Jason L. Merrill and Lister H. Dewey created a paper, USDA Bulletin Number 404, Hemp Herds as Papermaking Material. So the scientists concluded that this paper from the woody inner portion of the hemp stem, broken into pieces, also known as hemp herds, was favorable in comparison to those used with pulp wood. So they said that this hemp wood was a lot better than the timber pulp would and making a better product in all. So even scientists were saying that hemp was a better option. But did that matter? No. So the American Medical Association, the AMA, uh, opposed the taxation because the tax was imposed on physicians prescribing cannabis, retail pharmacists selling cannabis, and medical cannabis cultivation and manufacturing. So the AMA said, don't do this because we want to still work with it, and we know that it has some... I mean, this was 100 years ago they were realizing the medical benefits of cannabis. The AMA proposed cannabis instead be added to the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act, a law that regulated the tax and production, importation, and distribution of opiates and coca products. Not cocoa products. No, coca. Coca, like cocaine. Oh, no. Coca, you're fine. Oh, thank God. The taxation law was passed despite objections by the AMA. Dr. William Creighton Woodward, the legislative counsel for the AMA, objected to the taxation on the grounds that the bill was written by the DuPont lawyers without legally binding time to repair their opposition to the bill. The doctor doubted their claims about cannabis addiction, violence, and overdosage, and he further asserted that because the Spanish word marijuana was largely unknown at the time, the medical profession did not realize they were losing cannabis. So doctors were saying, yeah, that's fine. Get rid of marijuana. And they didn't realize that cannabis was actually marijuana. After hearings with lawyers from DuPont Chemicals and Hearst Newspaper Group, the taxation was passed on the grounds of differing reports and hearings. All because he didn't want to lose money with his newspaper company. Yeah. After that, it was time to exploit. So people were scared of weed now and filmmakers wanted to exploit it. And Reefer Madness was 
and exploitation movie. One of the many films that mine sex, gore, and other lewd subjects for maximum effect. David F. Friedman, a long producer of such films, described the genre in an interview with David Shute, and it's a, a great interview. The essence of exploitation was any subject that was forbidden. Miscegenation, which is defined as the interbreeding of people considered to be of different racial types, abortion, unwed motherhood, venereal disease. You could sell the seven deadly sins and the 12 minor ones. All those subjects were fair game to the exploiter as long as it was in bad taste. So Reefer Madness made the rounds for years. The whole concept of aftermarket films and film distribution hadn't even been developed yet, especially for films that were made outside of the studio system at the time. So for this reason... Neither Esper nor original film producer George Heerleman bothered to protect the film's copyright. It then had an improper copyright notice invalidating the copyright, so then the film ended up in the public domain. So you can do anything you want with this film and not pay for it. Exactly. At that point, it was the world's. All right, now let's fast forward to the 1960s. Whoa, sweet tie-dye, Rob. Thank you. I fast-forwarded to the 60s. So the widespread adoption of cannabis by both the young hippies and the anti-war movement and the white middle class briefly resulted in a little bit more relaxed attitudes and enforcement. Reports commissioned by Presidents John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson found that marijuana use did not induce violence or lead to the use of heavier drugs. So even Kennedy was saying that it wasn't a... Well, Ken- Kennedy was a client of Dr. Feelgood, so I'm sure he... That's true and he's the one that makes you feel all right that high didn't last very long for the united states because as part of mr president richard nixon's anti-drug efforts congress in 1970 passed the controlled substances act and it created various legal categories or schedules or schedules to different types of drugs depending on their perceived public threat perceived public threat perceived public threat cannabis was placed alongside heroin and lsd in schedule one the most restrictive category reserved for drugs deemed to have no medical benefit and the highest potential for abuse he just hates these people including cannabis in this category was more of a reflection of nixon's animus towards the counterculture with which he associated marijuana than scientific medical or legal opinion scott c martin who was a history professor at bowling green state university wrote in time magazine so the schedule one designation he said made it difficult even for physicians or scientists to procure marijuana for research studies so it didn't get any easier in the preceding years so in fact the bipartisan schaefer commission an investigative committee appointed by nixon to study drug abuse in america went to on to recommend that possession of small amounts of marijuana be decriminalized. The commission stated, unless present policy is redirected, we will perpetuate the same problems, tolerate the same social costs, and find ourselves as we do now, no further along the road to a more rational, legal, and social approach than we were in 1914. Not surprisingly, old Dick Nixon rejected his own commission's findings, moving right on ahead with his anti-drug agenda. The next year, Congress created the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, a merger of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, BNND, and the Office of Drug Abuse Law Enforcement, OD. A-L-E. The Schaefer's Commission report did heavily influence state governments, though. A movement spearheaded by the newly established National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, 
Normal, which is now a leading group in, in passing cannabis laws, resulted in Oregon passing the first decriminalization statute in 1973. Over the next five years, 10 other states followed suit from California to, astoundingly, Mississippi, which is, I feel like they probably have pretty restrictive laws now. In spring 1972, the founder of Normal, Keith Stroop, found a copy of Reefer Madness in the Library of Congress archives and bought a print for $297. And as part of a fundraising campaign, Normal showed the film on college campuses up and down California, asking a $1 donation for admission and raising $16,000 towards support for the California Marijuana Initiative, a political group that sought to legalize marijuana in 1972 fall elections. So I feel like that started the midnight schlock movie viewings Mm -hmm. is normal. Robert Shea of New Line Cinema eventually heard about the underground hit and went to see it at the Bleecker Street Cinema in Greenwich Village. It made its way to New York. He noticed the film carried an improper copyright notice and realized that it was in the public domain. Seeking material for New Line's college circuit, he was able to obtain an original copy from the collector and began distributing the film nationally, making a small fortune for New Line. These showings got more and more people to see and appreciate how bad this film really is and embrace it for that reason. The film became a cult phenomenon dwarfed only by the Rocky Horror Picture Show and The Room later on. Now, this is how I found Reefer Madness through Reefer Madness the Musical. Now, in 1998, a musical parody opened in Los Angeles called Reefer Madness and it was written by Dan Studney and Kevin Murphy and the creators of the show only thought it would be a two-week run but it ended up playing for over a year and winning multiple awards. It transferred to New York in 2001, played off Broadway, didn't have the same success it had in L.A., but, you know, it still still got a bro- off-Broadway run. And then in 2005, it was made into a film for Showtime, starring Kristen Bell, Alan Cumming, and Anna Gasteyer. And I saw that movie, and I, I mean, I think it's great. Musical theater. I love it. So does Rob, even though Rob's never seen this. Fight the urge of the scourge. It's destructive, but seductive. So I haven't seen it. I need to see it. It's all madness, Rob. And when we get back, we'll talk about the madness that was this film and how midnight showings might actually make it an enjoyable watch through. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. From the makers of Reefer Madness comes the next picture that will open America's eyes. But this time it isn't a film about a menace to society. No, this time it's a film about a benefit to society. It's bicarbonate of soda madness. Yes, that's right. The film of films to teach you of all the wonders of bicarbonate of soda. Feel the remedies of the wonder drug. I have such heartburn, I just don't know what to do. 
Say, here, Jim, why don't you take some of this bicarbonate of soda, mix it with a little bourbon, and kiss that heartburn goodbye. By God, I think you may have just saved my life. Next stop, O'Malley's. See, teenagers discover that it's a miracle cure. If I keep riding this here bicycle around all day, my armpits are going to stink, and then Evelyn will never accept my pin. Here, Billy, rub some bicarbonate of soda on those armpits. Wow, there's no way Evelyn can say no now. I'm going to go down to the soda fountain and pop this pin right on her cardigan. Here, how bicarbonate of soda can help out marriages. Dear, I notice that your teeth have started to turn a bit yellow. Why don't you rub some bicarbonate of soda on them and help whiten them up? Oh, thank you, sweetheart. You always know what's best for me. Now go ahead and enjoy that lasagna. That funny taste isn't arsenic. It's oregano. Bicarbonate of soda madness coming to a small, dingy theater near you. This film may be known as Baking Soda Madness in some small territories. Thank you. This was a sketch. So Reefer Madness, the film, is now iconic because of how ridiculous it is. Sadly, at the time, I'm sure it only helped fuel the growing anti-cannabis movements. It was pretty easy to convince people of practically anything back then. Not that it's gotten much better now, but at least more people are aware of how people are not afraid to lie to them nowadays. And I'm sure that Hearst and all of his pals were happy as clams that anti-cannabis films were coming out because it only helped them get rid of the hemp plant. Obviously, things have changed drastically for the better, luckily. Laws are a lot more relaxed now. There are currently only six states in the United States where weed is fully illegal. Alabama, Idaho, Kansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Wyoming are all a little bit late to the party, but hopefully they'll get there. But also, like, think of all the people that were, you know, labeled as criminals because they decided to make this fucking drug on the same level as LSD. Absolutely. The number of people that are sitting in prison right now mm-hmm. whose lives have been ruined because because of this bullshit, especially from minority communities, this is just so fucking frustrating. All of this because one man didn't want to lose some money. Who already had a lot of money. Who already had a lot of money. Yeah. So this film, it should definitely be remembered, but almost as a middle finger to the folks who have made this plant illegal over the years again this is a terrible movie i feel like this is like a movie where it's like cannabis smokers are like taking it back you know what i mean like it's like no we're taking this back from you this is not a bad thing the thing about reefer madness i'm sure that sitting in a theater full of um how do i say this similarly minded high as can be uh individuals uh would make this baby that much better and it could possibly end up being madness Mic drop. Ow! Sorry, let me pick that up. (laughs) While you pick it up, let's prep for a game. Okay. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Y'all get high? Uh, yeah, good. You can say it. You can say it. Yeah, yeah. Never touch the stuff. Oh, never touch it. Never touch the stuff? Look, you're not cool if you don't have another name for marijuana. Like you call it reefer, maybe you call it ganja, maybe you call it the sticky icky, I don't know. Medicine. Medicine, yeah. Okay. My reason for living. Air. Yeah. Uh. I call it Mary Jane for the purpose of this game, which is called Mary or Jane. And it's a rapid fire game question. You're going to be working against each other, okay? Okay. So you can determine who goes first, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to e- read each of you 10 fast facts about a famous either Mary or famous Jane 
and you have to see how many of these 10 each you can get right in 30 seconds. And we have to tell you which Mary or Jane it is. Yeah. You have to name their full name. Oh, okay. This is a combination of real life celebrities and well-known fictional oh, shit. people named Mary or Jane. Shit. Okay. Mary Ellen Crosby from Real Housewives of uh, Salt Lake City. They're all Mary Ellen Crosby. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> I hope you're ready. So who would like to go first? I've got them set aside for each of you. You can elect. Up to you, buddy. I'll go first. Okay. Here we go. She has been arrested five times for disturbing the peace. Oh, uh, Ma- Mary Tyler Moore. No. Appeared in Best in Show, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and is deaf in her right ear. Um, Jane Jane Lynch. Yes. She has won seven Emmys and three Golden Globes and had her own show on CBS from 1970 to 1977. Mary Tyler Moore. Yes. She played Jenna Maroney on 30 Rock. Uh, J- uh, 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 J- Jane Krakowski. This classic summer reading book follows the experiences of the eponymous hero- heroine and her love for Jane Mr. Eyre. Yes, that is correct. Time. You got four right. What was the first one? The first one was Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Oh, duh. I, I, my brain was like, Mary, 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 Mary. I know, yeah. yeah. So there are Janes in here. Yes. There are Janes. And since we only did half of them, we'll see how fast we go through yours. Maybe we'll do four rounds. Oh, wow. Because we have okay. a back five. I forgot to ask, can we pass if we don't know one? You can. You won't get a point. Okay, You yeah. can pass. Sorry, okay. I should have made that abundantly clear. Rob, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. R&B artist who sold over Mary 100. Mary J. Blige. Yes. She wrote Frankenstein. Mary Shelley. The world's foremost expert on chimpanzees. Jane Goodall. Childhood superstition that is also a hair of the dog. A pass. One of the original not ready for primetime players. Jane Fon- uh, J- Jane Curtin. Prominent Bible character who didn't give birth to Jesus. Mary Magdalene. The classic star of Hollywood's golden era and one of the founders of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Mary Pickford. Yes. Uh, the brunette turned redhead who stood co-star with Marilyn Monroe and the gentlemen prefer blondes. Jane Russell. Yes. I think you got them all. No, you no. You didn't no, get I Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody yeah. Mary. Oh, okay. How about we do the ones I didn't get to? No timer, and you can work together and see who can get it okay. first. A go-for-broke last-ditch play in football. Hail Mary. Uh, Hail Mary. On the TV, on the MTV animated show Daria, she was Daria Morgendorfer's best friend. Uh, Jane. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, this is the full name of Tarzan's counterpart. Jane. Jane McAllister. You, you Jane. Jane Porter. Ah, Jade Porter. Not Slippy, Slappy, or Samsonite. This was Lauren Holly's character's full name in Dumb and Dumber. Mary Holly? No. Jane, uh, 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 uh. Mary Maxwell? Jane, I got, but it. Jane? No, I think I it's know. Jane. I thought it was Mary. Mary Swanson. Swanson! Swanson! Her novels include Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Jane Sensibility. Austin. The 1996 film Bomb, in which Julia Roberts plays the fictional maid to John Malkovich's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mary Shelley? Mary... Oh, God. Mary Riley. Uh, Mary Riley. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say Mary Cougar Mellencamp. And, Sp- <laughs> and Spider-Man's love interest. Mary Jane. What's her last name? Mary Jane Osborne. No, no uh, well, she marries Harry Osborne, but... No, not Porter. What's her maiden? Mary Jane Croft from the I Love Lucy show. (laughs) Mary Jane Watson. Watson. Ah, God damn it. Jane Lane is Daria's friend. Jane Jane Lane. Lane. You guys did pretty darn good. Mark, supporting actress on Frasier. (laughs) Couldn't do it. (laughs) Supporting actress on Frasier. Uh, She was also on Benny Hill. Yes. Jane. Jane. Jane Leaves. Jane Leaves. Jane Leaves. Ronald Reagan's first wife. Uh, Jane Reagan. Jane Leaves Ron Reagan. Jane Wyman. Mary Tyler Moore's character name on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Mary Jones. Mary Moore Tyler. Mary Richards. Mary Richards. Mm. Got any Janes? I'll, I'll give you a tricky one here. Try to shoot President Ford. Squeaky from? Uh, don't have it. Don't have it. Tricky. Sarah Jane Moore. Ooh, the mm. middle. Middle one. 
middle one. All right, I friends. I love assassins. Hope you enjoyed. If you're a Mary or a Jane, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, yes. And if you if we forgot a, Mar- a famous Mary or Jane, uh, let, let, let us know. Light up and have a good time. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. When the moon seven high. Yeah, it's like... I figured that'd be a cool and song Jupiter. for all these people smoking weed. Yeah. My go-to drug song is just like, <laughs> One pill makes you larger. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut-Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 